right, so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them and open them to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8 this morning. We're in between sermon series. Every year, one time a year, we try to talk about baptism and what it means and why it's important. And so every single year, God seems to use this in a powerful way. So if you're unfamiliar with baptism or things of the church, baptism is one of two ordinances that we observe here at Fellowship Olathe. We consider them ordinances because they come via, by, uh, via command of Jesus, right? And so Jesus tells us in the New Testament to do two things. He says to observe the Lord's table together, and then he commands us to be baptized. We see that in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, right? We see that he says, go therefore and make disciples. And after you make disciples, what are you to do? You're to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's what we see laid out in scripture as a command or a mandate from Jesus Christ himself. And so we would consider these uh, to be ordinances of the church. And so, as we said, the first ordinance is the Lord's table, which the next time we'll observe together is August 20th. We do that monthly here. So one Sunday every month, we observe the Lord's table together. And then, like I said, Every year we get together and talk about the importance of baptism, but I do want you to know that the baptism and the baptistry are available any week. And so I want to encourage you right out of the gate here. If you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and you know, you, you recognize that you're a sinner and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation, your next act of obedience or your next step in the discipleship process is to be baptized, all right? And so you can do that at any time. We love having those conversations, I promise. Any of us on staff would love to talk to you about it. So grab myself, Pastor Brian, Pastor Drew. We would love to talk to you about what it means to be baptized and why it's so important even after today. But we do wanna spend some intentional time together just as a congregation to talk about it because as we saw in the first service, we had somebody come forward and said, listen, uh, I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. At some point in my life, I was baptized uh, by, by sprinkling, and I realized that now that that's not the same as what we're talking about here. And so they were baptized at the end of the 930 service. You're going to get the exact same opportunity here um, as we gather together. But that's why this is so important that we talk about these things. So we're going to look at it through the lens of Acts chapter 8. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. There's lots of places we could go to talk about baptism, but I love this story in Acts chapter 8 because we get to see uh, the Great Commission on full display, right? Like it starts with somebody coming to saving faith and it ends with them being baptized in believer's baptism. And so I want us to look at this, uh, go through it today. And then after we go through the scriptures here in Acts chapter 8, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the, the practical side of baptism. And we're going to answer four specific questions, all right? And so before we get there, though, we want to go to God's word and see what it has to say in Acts chapter 8. So uh, we're going to start reading in Acts chapter 8 verse 26, but I do want to set the table for you a little bit because I think context is always so, so important. You guys know, uh, I say this all the time, you know my rule, when you're reading your Bible, if you were to open it up and jump straight to verse 26, it says now, that's a transition word, right? And so that's our hint to go back and read what happened before so that we might better understand what's about to take place in 
context, right? It, it, it's, it's, it's knowing the information that we need to know. It's like, it's like uh, you know, not jumping into the second movie in a trilogy. You want to read the, you want to watch the first one first, right? And, and know what's going on. Same thing here. So Acts chapter 8, verse 26, we see now an angel of the Lord. So, so in context, what's happening here at the beginning of Acts chapter 8 is we see that persecution is breaking out in Jerusalem in the early church, and we see that one of the first deacons that is called in Acts chapter 6, he loses his life because of his relationship with Jesus Christ, and that man's name is Stephen. All right, so we see in in chapter 8, verse 1, that there's another man that's going to be significant at some point here in the context of Scripture, a guy named Saul. He approves his execution there in verse 1. So he approves the execution of Stephen. And then it says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And all this is going to make a lot more sense here in a minute. It's, it's good that we understand this context. And so Stephen, the very first martyr in Scripture, gives his life for the sake of Christ. Saul, who we'll later know as Paul, is the one who approves of his execution, and he begins to persecute the church. I want you to remember, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is kind of a continuation of the Great Commission that we see in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8, says that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of of the earth. And so we know up to this point, this is what's so unique about scripture and what's so fascinating when you really dive in and study it. The early church was was camping out in Jerusalem and that's it. Right? So God's already told him, you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, but I also want you to go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So to this point in scripture, they've been sharing the gospel, baptizing people, doing making disciples, doing all of this in Jerusalem. Now, God uses the persecution and the stoning of Stephen to scatter the believers, right? And what do you see here in chapter 8 at the very beginning? We see that where they fled to was throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, which are the next places that God's already told them you're to take the gospel. So God uses persecution He uses the events that transpire through the the death of Stephen to actually further and advance the gospel of Christ and bring new people to saving faith. And we see as we study this, as they're coming to saving faith, they're being baptized. And we see that. Look at verse 4 of chapter 8. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, and Philip, who's another deacon here, he went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now, if you jump forward to verse 12 of the same chapter, we see in context of verse 12, it says, when they had believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And so what they're out doing is they're out doing what God called them to do. They're 
putting into practice the Great Commission. They're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. As people are coming to saving faith, they're doing the next step that you see in the Great Commission, which is baptizing them. And so people are coming to saving faith. They're giving their lives to Jesus Christ. And then they're going public with that relationship and they're being baptized by what we will call believer's baptism, okay? And so we see up to this point now, we've got Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And what we're gonna see in our story today is God actually then pulls in an opportunity to not only share the gospel, but see a person baptized that would fall into the category of and to the ends of the earth, right? So what we're seeing early on in the book of Acts is God helping his people fulfill the great commission by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and helping people recognize the importance of being baptized. That's how we get to verse 26. I know that was a long way, but I think it'll, it'll make sense here in a second. So we get to verse 26. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south on the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So he responds with obedience. We see Philip responding with obedience here, verse 27. He rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, that's, that's an important piece of information there. We know up to this point, the Ethiopian eunuch, he is not a believer in Jesus Christ. But he is in Jerusalem to worship. So what we understand about him is that he is probably a proselyte uh, to Judaism, right? So he wants to go to Jerusalem. He wants to worship. And on his journey there, he meets up with Philip, all right? And so that's what's going on. So he's there in Jerusalem to worship, verse 28, and was returning home, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah, verse 29, then the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot, all right? Now, how many of you in the room would say, like, you wish that that's how it always happened, right? Like, if it, I wish it was verbal, too, don't you? Uh, a lot of times I wish that the Holy Spirit would just, like, speak to me out loud because it makes it so much easier for me, and I'm not super smart all the time, right? But it says the Holy Spirit tells him, but you guys know he's not going to say it verbal. He's going to prompt your heart, though, right? You've been in that situation before where you feel like the Holy Spirit is impressed upon your heart to begin a conversation with somebody? I've been walking around before and, and, and just feel, felt the Holy Spirit impress upon my like, Hey, why don't, you, why don't you go talk to them? Why don't you go pray with that person? Why don't you go see if they have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And so the Holy Spirit prompts our hearts to begin these conversations. And so that's what happens in verse 29. The Spirit prompts Philip's heart. He says, go over and join this chariot. So remember, they're out in the middle of nowhere. It's a desolate place. This Ethiopian eunuch is heading back to Ethiopia. And we see that Philip is prompted by the Holy Spirit in verse 29 to go begin a conversation. Then look at verse 30. So Philip ran up to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? I also wish it was this easy, don't you? Wouldn't it be so much easier if you're just walking around Walmart in the parking lot or something and some, some guy's just walking around reading Isaiah and going, is there anybody here that can help me understand this? Like, I feel like I wouldn't miss that opportunity, right? At least I hope I would not be like, finally, praise the Lord. Like, yeah, I can, I can answer your questions. And so here we go. And so that's what happens. It says Philip runs up to him. He hears him reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Remember, this is a prompting of the Holy Spirit. This is important for us as believers to remember this, that God is always working ahead of us. 
right? Especially as it pertains to us sharing the gospel and participating in the Great Commission. I can't save anyone. That's God's work. That's God's business. And God is, is, is about that business, right? Like he wants people to come to saving faith. He brings people to saving faith. And this is just a good reminder to us that this is, this is our participation level. It's good. He invites us in to participate and to share. But, but that's really all Philip has to do here. God has set the table and created this divine appointment for Philip and this Ethiopian union, all right? And so then we get to verse 31. So he says, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he is led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from him. So we know that that is Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7 and 8. And so that's what they're reading together. And we see verse 34, that the eunuch asked Philip another question. So it says, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? So remember, he's probably a, a, a proselyte to Judaism. He knows about God but he doesn't really fully understand and know about Jesus Christ, all right? So he reads this Isaiah 53 passage. He knows that it's talking about somebody and something significant. And so he wants Philip to further explain to him who it's talking about. And he asks the question, is this talking about Isaiah or is this someone else? And we see from the scriptures that it sets the table for Philip to explain to him about Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for him on the cross. So look at this, verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus, all right? So this is the first piece of that great commission. He's sharing the gospel. Gospel means good news, right? And so he's sharing the good news about Jesus. So he's letting the Ethiopian eunuch know that, listen, you can have forgiveness of your sins and eternal life because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And I love that it says he began with this scripture, but that's to imply that he didn't just stop with that scripture, right? So he gets a full picture of who Jesus Christ is, what he's done on his behalf. He's, I'm assuming, come to a place where he recognizes that, that he's a sinner and his only hope for salvation is Christ, and that's the series of things. That always needs to happen first, especially as we believe as, uh, in believers' baptism. So he comes to saving faith first. Look at verse 36. And they were going along the road, and they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Or some of your translations may say, what would keep me from being baptized today, all right? And so we see here that he's now come to saving faith. He recognizes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And now the eunuch is asking Philip, like, what would keep me from being baptized? What would keep me from following through in believer's baptism now that I know about the Christ, all right? And so some of you, this is kind of interesting, some of you, depending upon what translation of the Bible you're using right now, you might have verse 37. Some of you are going to look down and you're going to go, mine goes 36, 38. Anybody's do that? All right, so let me give you the explanation here. Is, is it because the Bible's wrong? No, it's because early manuscripts, 
Some of the early manuscripts include verse 37. Some of them did not. And some of them included partial readings of verse 37 and others not. And so the way the ESV that I read has, has taken it is because it wasn't in all the translations, it isn't listed here. But yours may list verse 37. If it does, it should read, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. So it's a response Back from Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch to his question, what would prevent me from being baptized? So in a sense, Philip is saying, listen, nothing would prevent you from being baptized right now if you believe in the Christ with all your heart. If you believe in Jesus Christ with all your heart, then nothing would prevent you from being baptized right here. Then look at verse 38. It says, and he commanded the chariot to stop. This is the, the eunuch. So upon hearing, if you believe with all your heart, you may he says, I want the chariot to stop. So he orders the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. All right, and so we see here in Acts chapter 8, one of the fullest pictures from start to finish of the Great Commission in action. You have a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ, who hears the good news of Christ, comes to saving faith, and immediately responds to that saving faith by following through in obedience with believers' baptism, right? So that's what we want to talk about this morning. That is the picture of baptism in the New Testament, all right? And it's gonna help us understand and, and define what baptism is, all right? So let me share with you. This is, this is from the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. This is what we agree with as far as our, our theology and our belief. When we answer the question, what is baptism? Here's a simple definition for you. Believer's baptism is the immersion of a believer in Jesus Christ in water, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a lot of ends, okay? But that's what it is. It's believer's baptism is the immersion of a believer in Jesus Christ in water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As we said, we, we see this picture in the Great Commission. Jesus is the one who tells us to do this, right? And we know that it's significant and we know that it's important because of that. Uh, we also understand that it's symbolic, Right? It's not required for salvation, but it is symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. If, if you would, flip over real fast to Romans. All right, So you're in Acts, you go one book over further than that. Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Paul writes, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Uh, you may have even heard that said if you've witnessed a baptism before. Some people say that. I often say that at the end. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. We're reminded here in Romans chapter 6 that there, there is, there's some imagery here. This is symbolic. And what it's symbolic of is, is us being buried with Christ in death and raised back to life in newness of life. And so that's why we say it's by immersion of a believer in Jesus in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. Simply put, it's a physical example on the outside of what Jesus has done spiritually on the inside. So it demonstrates to everyone watching, that your old way of life is dead and buried and your new life with Jesus has begun. But remember, I want to put emphasis on believer's baptism. Believer's baptism. 
in the New Testament, in the book of Acts and on, those that were being baptized were those who had placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then that was their next step in this. We see this even with the Ethiopian eunuch. He is not baptized prior to coming to saving faith. So that's why we also stress now understanding and recognizing a good definition of believer's baptism, we, we now know the order in which things should take place. And so if you're here this morning and you've come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and you've not been baptized after, you may have been baptized but you didn't participate in what we would define as believer's baptism because that always comes post-conversion or after you come to saving faith. So that doesn't mean that you're wrong or that you're a bad person or any of those things. It just simply means that you haven't put into practice what we're talking about this morning, which is believer's baptism. And as, as Baptists for us and what we believe, that's super important because you, you may have history with this and there's lots and lots of definitions out there about what baptism is. For some, baptism is for infants too, and others not. Uh, some for baptism, uh, baptism is, is sprinkling, others immersion, and, and, and others still like it just, it's just uh, your, your step in a direction of, of showing that, you know, you mean well in something, and, and that's not what we believe. We would say this is reserved for after you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, and then you go forward participate in what we would call believer's baptism. Right? Second question I want to talk about here this morning is why should I be baptized? So we've talked about what it is. Now we need to answer the question, why should I be baptized? The first answer to that question is that baptism shows obedience to God's commands. As we've already established, this is not something that myself or Pastor Brian or Pastor Drew came up with or some pastor before us. This was Jesus himself who gave us this command. Matthew 28, right, in the Gate Commission. He's saying, make disciples and baptize them. Not make disciples and baptize some of them. No, there was, it was a link, right? It's, this, is, this is showing obedience to God's command. We see that in the Great Commission. And we also see it in Jesus' example himself, right? Just as a scriptural reference, Mark chapter 1, verse 9. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. Jesus himself is baptized. As an example for us, when, it, when, we, when we think of believers' baptism. Number two, why should I be baptized? Because baptism is your public testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. It's your public testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I grew up, not my whole life, but enough of my life in a Baptist church to come to a place where I thought your profession of faith was when you just walked down the aisle, right? To tell everybody that you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But in the New Testament, in the New Testament, your baptism is actually your public demonstration of coming to faith in Jesus. So it's not wrong that you come down the aisle to let us know that you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's just that's not really how we are to go public. We're to go public with our baptism. That's how everyone would know that we were a follower of Christ, particularly here in the first century. And remember, I wanted to read all that in context because I wanted you to think about something. When you think about baptism being your public testimony in Christ, like, like for some of you, this might feel like a lot of people to get baptized. Now imagine that we're like at Lake Olathe, just out in the middle of, of everyone, right? Anyone that drove by could see. Now put it in context that we read in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. 
Persecution was spreading like wildfire. People were being hauled off to jail and killed for following Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And yet, when they came to saving faith, what were they doing? They were still going to publicly declare following after Jesus through baptism, all right? And so that's a, such a significant thing. It's how we are to go public. And we see that in the text here as well. I love how eager the, the Ethiopian eunuch is. And you see in him, there, there, there's a joy, there's a desire to be baptized immediately, right? He's like, now that I'm a believer in Christ, what would keep me from being baptized? He, he desired it. There was a joy there and he wanted people to know. He wanted to go public with his decision to follow Jesus. I used in the first service the illustration of, of wedding rings, right? I've done this with students before too, but this, this ring right here doesn't make me married, Right? I'm married whether I have this ring on or not, but one thing it does is it allows me to go public with the fact that I'm in a relationship, right? And I think Erin is grateful for that, right? Maybe, I don't know. She might be like, I don't know, go, go leave me alone. I don't think so, but um, you guys are much tougher. First service laughs at everything. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. But we see that it, it's, a, it's a way to symbolically go public. And so that's what we see here. Baptism is our public testimony of faith in Christ. So while it's not required for salvation, and that's important to understand too, it's not required for salvation, it is directly linked to salvation in the New Testament. We see it in Acts chapter 2 when Peter gets up after Pentecost and preaches and thousands of people come to saving faith. The Bible tells us that they're baptized right after immediately. We see that here in the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. In scripture, these are always linked together, right? It's not an optional add-on. It's just what people would do. So the, the New Testament knows nothing, nothing of a believer in Jesus Christ that wouldn't be baptized, that wouldn't be baptized. There was no secret discipleship. This is how people would go public with it. And I think it's super important. And, and the only example I can think of in scripture and some people use is, yeah, but what about the thief on the cross? And while I would tell you that he does go to be with Jesus because Jesus says himself, today you'll be with me in paradise. I think the only reason he doesn't get baptized is he's lacking opportunity, right? The Romans weren't particularly crazy about letting people off crosses. So I think if he could have, he would have. And that's what we see all throughout the New Testament. There is no salvation in Jesus Christ apart from obedience and believers' baptism. They, they go together. They go hand in hand. So maybe a better question than why should I be baptized is why would I not be baptized? Why would I not be baptized if I'm a follower in Christ? And some of you may be wrestling with that decision. So today's not to beat you up or anything. It's just if you've come to a place of saving faith and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, why would you not want to be baptized? All right, next question. How should I be baptized? We've already talked about this, but I wanna make sure that we're all on the same page because again, this came up in the first service and it was good that we went through this. How should I be baptized? The Greek word here for baptism is baptizo. It's to plunge, dip, or immerse. In every passage of scripture that we have in the New Testament, that's the picture of baptism. It's baptism by immersion. 
All right, that's what sets it apart. We even see this in that reference I gave to you of Jesus himself. Mark chapter one, verse nine and 10, it says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. So even in Christ's baptism, we see it's by immersion, right? So he goes down into the Jordan River, and comes back up. Remember, it's because it's symbolic of, of being buried, right? To go down under the water and to come all the way back up. And so here this morning, it's good that you know that's what we're talking about. Baptism for believers by immersion. That means you go completely under water. So if you've been baptized in any other mode of baptism, maybe that's sprinkling or some other version of it, that's not what we're talking about here. So I'm not here this morning to diminish that in your life. But what I am saying is if you've come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized by immersion, even if you have been baptized by sprinkling or, or some other way, you still need to be baptized in believer's baptism by immersion because we believe that's what the Bible teaches here. And so that's how we would answer that. How would you be baptized? You'd be baptized by immersion, by going completely under the water. And then last, but certainly not least, when? When should I be baptized? That's a good question. I would tell you, maybe some of you parents are asking that same question, maybe in conversations with your kids. I will tell you that Aaron and I, we take things pretty slow with our kids. We don't want to baptize them until they know what it means and what it is. We want to make sure that they understand that it's not part of their salvation. And so I think if you're answering this question and you're thinking through as far as someone in your family, a grandchild or, or a, a child that lives at your house, I, take things slow. Make sure that they understand the decision that they've made. Don't force feed them answers, right? Don't, don't give them simple yes and no stuff. My policy with all my kids has always been, I want to I ask an open-ended question that they can respond to and articulate to me that they've come to saving faith and that they're ready to be baptized. What do I mean by open-ended? I mean not yes and no questions. So as parents, I think we can do a disservice to our kids by going, do you believe in Jesus? Well, yes. Instead, I would ask, them to share their story about their faith in Christ, right? So you want them to be able to articulate those things and, and be okay with having those conversations ongoing. Same thing with baptism, right? With all of our kids, that was what happened. I remember Landry, she got baptized, I think on an Easter Sunday. She had been asking to be baptized for like a year. And every time I'd say, okay, baby, why do you want to be baptized? She'd go, I don't know, I just want to. I'm like, all right, we're going to hold off then, right? Then on an Easter we had a baptism earlier, and just like today, I, I mentioned at the invitation, that water is in there, it's warm, it's ready to go, and my daughter walks right down here to the front to me, and she looked me straight in the face, and she goes, Dad, I want to be baptized today. And I said, you know the question I'm about to ask. She goes, I do. I said, why do you want to be baptized? And she said, I want to be baptized so that everybody knows that I'm a follower of Christ. Okay, that'll do. <laughs> we can work with that, right? But it's important. So when we answer this question, I think it just depends on where somebody's at. Don't, don't rush this process. But with that being said, especially for those of you in the room that's adults or you're old enough to make this decision, listen, the scriptural answer to that 
for somebody who's old enough to make this decision and knows without a doubt that they've given their life to Jesus Christ, it's immediately. Immediately. That's what you see all throughout the scriptures. They came to saving faith, baptized. Saving faith, baptized. And so that's where we're at this morning to answer all those questions. We've talked about what it is, how it's to go be, be done, when it should be done. And that leads us to this point this morning. So I'm just gonna ask you to prayerfully consider what the Lord is leading you to do here today. I said that water is over, it's ready. It, it's warm. We would love to have a conversation with you this morning. Especially for those of you in, the, in this room that you'd say, listen, I know without a doubt that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I recognize that I'm a sinner and he's my only hope for salvation. I just have never been baptized by immersion in this way, then, man, we want to have a conversation with you. We can do that right here this morning. Let me pray with us, and then we'll, we'll respond. Father, we thank you so much, God, for your goodness. God, we thank you for what we find in your word. God, we thank you for, for um, the, the, the commands that we have here in Scripture, God, to be baptized. God, this morning, though, we recognize that that's after we come to saving faith. And so, Lord, I do ask that if there's a person in this room today that does not know you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you'd bring them to the end of themselves. God, I pray that they would recognize that they are a sinner and they fall short of your expectation of perfection and their only hope for salvation is faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. God, I pray that you'd fill them with boldness as we enter into this time of response. If they need to give their life to Christ, God, I pray that they would call out to you, that they would ask you to forgive them of their sins, that they would ask Christ to be the Lord of their life, God, that they would surrender, God, that they would respond in that way. God, for the person in this room that maybe knows you as Lord and Savior, God, maybe they've gotten things out of order or they've never been baptized by immersion or whatever it is, God, I pray that you would very clearly impress this upon their heart, what they're to do today, God, and I pray that you'd fill them with boldness to respond just the same. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.